0: Welcome to Cowboy Ed, where some rides just get going so fast and so furious that we just keep them going. So, we talked to Dr. Tucker last week, and we're going to continue that conversation on blended learning, UDL, all these things that are kind of even more imperative to education today as we deal with a pandemic, which no one could have prepared for or saw coming. So, let's we're just going to Pick up where we left off, and we were talking about this idea of virtual skills versus uh, like kind of skills you need in the classroom, and and, and that reminded me of this, this idea. Of we, we sometimes talk about what it means to be a good citizen, and then we also want to title digital citizenship. and And truthfully, if you're a good citizen and you apply those ideas, then they should be easily translated into being a great digital citizen. So this idea of virtual teacher or virtual skills or skills you need for this versus skills I'm going to need if I'm just a normal ordinary teacher somewhat of a misnomer. That's something that we those skills are if you're a teacher you need you need the whole basket. You need all of those skills today to to kind of keep keep moving forward because how else are you going to reach kids? It's, it's a mix, whether it's the station learnings, whether it's they're, they're sick and they're online, who knows? And so I, I really, really appreciated that, that point as, as our conversation went on, that we can't isolate these skills anymore. These are skills you need to have. And so my question is, when we have those teachers that are, are still anti-technology, I hate to say that at, at this point in time, <laughs> but are still, I I'm not going to use maybe the learning management. I'm not going to use the canvas or the Google classroom. I'm not going to use a recording of anything. I'm not going to, you know, flip any of these pieces. I'm not going to do how do we, how do we, that idea of start small, but how do we break the ice with them?
1: You know, I, I struggle with this. I obviously, I work with Thousands and thousands and thousands of teachers a year. So I see all different kinds of teachers Some of them are very open to technology. Some are interested, but skeptical and some are very resistant and I keep thinking about Not only that resistance, but there's also this from my perspective kind of increasing frustration on the part of a lot of teachers and and I get it around a lack of student engagement a lack of student motivation. And I think about the kids coming into our classrooms right now, right? And I was I was working with a group a few weeks ago and kind of sharing an anecdote from my book UDL and blended learning. And I said, you know, when I was growing up, when most of us teachers were growing up, um, we, when we wanted to watch television, we had to like be on the couch at a certain time, on a certain day. If we wanted to like get up and grab a snack, we had to wait for a commercial break. And the way we engaged with media was so different from how like my 12 and 14 year old engage with media, right? They watch what they want, when they want, as much as they want. If they're not sure what to watch, they can log into Netflix and get like a recommendation based on things they've enjoyed in the past. They can pause. They have total control over that experience. And then those learners enter classrooms where essentially they're stuck watching network TV, right? They have no control over the content. They have no control over the pacing. And I have to imagine that that is so jarring for this generation of learners. So we have teachers who might not be particularly comfortable with technology yet, but that does not mean they cannot grow that skill set. Yes, there needs to be some desire to grow it, and I think that desire really should come from an acknowledgement that technology is permeating every aspect of our society. It has to play a role in education. That doesn't mean we sit kids in front of screens all day long. I don't want that either. Blended learning, for me, I value the offline, social, tactile, experiential learning as much as I value anything happening on the computer. But for me, if we're not acknowledging that technology is a critical part of almost every aspect of our lives and thinking about the ways in which choosing not to integrate it into a classroom might impact learners who are used to engaging with media and content and tech and all these different ways beyond the classroom, we create this real disconnect between their learning experience and the ways in which they learn beyond the classroom. So for me, it's just an acknowledgement that we have to continue to evolve. We have to meet kids where they're at and prepare them for this really different world that they're entering compared to the world that obviously we were being prepared for when we were in school. So that's a part of the puzzle. I think it's also this acknowledgement that when we talk about technology, we talk about blended learning, I like to focus on balance. And it's all about balancing the online with the offline, the individual, with the collaborative, the teacher feedback with the peer feedback, teacher assessment with self-assessment, like all of these pieces that i want to see balanced in a classroom and i think it's easier to do when we start to really strategically integrate technology so i get tech might be scary for teachers i get it's not natural it's not a natural skill set for everybody but that doesn't mean we can't cultivate those skills and i think we need to acknowledge that by doing so we can create learning environments that are they're more relevant, they're more interesting, they're more student-centered. And and your comment about the skill set for a physical classroom and the skill set for the online classroom. I wanna be clear that when the pandemic started and teachers got kicked online, I heard a lot of teachers that were like, I don't I've never taught online, I don't know how to do this, I'm not prepared. And I totally understood that, the anxiety of that, the fear, the like zero preparation, but the building blocks of the learning experiences we architect in a physical classroom things like you know interactive modeling um you know engaging kids in discussion all of these pieces these building blocks they work online right we can engage students in asynchronous text-based discussions video-based discussions with something like flipgrid The thing that's different isn't the actual instructional strategies as much as it is the degree of support and scaffolding that kids need to be successful in that online environment. Um, interacting with that uh, particular learning activity. So discussion in real time in a classroom looks maybe asynchronous online text-based or video-based discussion online. Kids can do that, but they're going to need supports and scaffolds that help them to engage with each other in this new space in a meaningful way. So it's not that teaching online is radically different in, time, in terms of the kinds of learning activities we're architecting, but it's more about, in my opinion, how do we support learners at getting comfortable engaging in that online space because it's new for them too.
0: Well, you touched on a lot of pieces there. The one that jumped out at me, I, I, as, I, as I, I would hope would resonate with some of our teachers is the network TV connection. And, <laughs> and I oftentimes think about you know, when I work with teachers, I always think teachers are some of the worst students in the world. They're the cl- they're the students that they that would get in trouble in their own classroom. They're they're very good at <laughs> that "do as I say, not as I do" mentality. And but as you describe that idea of being able to find what you want and watch and get recommendations, our, that's our our teachers are accustomed to that. Our our thirty year old teachers, our forty year old teachers, our fifty year old teachers are. Accustomed to that same mentality of of logging in, watching, finding what they want, and they can apply it outside of school. So it kind of goes full circle. We we talked about students not being able to apply some of those Googleable kind of skills that they they have for everything else, but never connecting those to education. Sometimes our our teachers are the same way, as far as not being able to connect what they like, um, mm-hmm. the skills they're using technology-wise that that those, those apply to our kids. Those apply to our kids. And so I think that's, if I'm an administrator out there listening, I, I'm talking about network TV and maybe two or three channels, maybe even getting up and flipping the channels uh, oh. versus Netflix to kind of make that point to our teachers to really think about how boring our classroom can be if we don't at least think like our learners, think like our learners.
1: I think... At the end of the day, the simplest way to engage our learners and to kind of take, like you're saying, these these aspects of our life beyond the classroom. Like, why do we enjoy streaming? We enjoy streaming because we are in control. (laughs) We are in control of the experience and it is customized to exactly what we want, you know, where we want to spend our time, what we want to spend our time doing. And I think, you know, I think it's a little oh, it's it's just daunting to think about, okay, how do I create a classroom that really gives students control? But at the heart of blended learning, and I say this in every training that I facilitate, blended learning is a fundamental shift in control from teacher to learner. And that release of control whether it's teacher control over the pace at which we're moving through through curriculum teacher control over the information being disseminated teacher control over management and behavior in a classroom there is a degree to which teachers have to let go of the control which i understand is scary and allow students to enjoy more autonomy and more agency in a classroom. And those things are fundamental to human motivation without autonomy, without agency. It's not, it shouldn't surprise anybody that kids are disengaged, that they lack motivation in a classroom. And so one of the things I wrote about in During the pandemic, because I know how important student agency is in this conversation about blended learning and in the conversation around universal design for learning, because giving students agency and choice is probably the best way to remove barriers and to create flexible pathways in our learning experiences. So learners can say, oh, this is the path that's going to work best for me. This is the path where I expect to encounter the least number of obstacles. And so teachers who want to think about choice without it becoming super overwhelming start from a place of a simple would you rather, right? Like my kids ask me would you rather questions all the time in the car on like long drives where they just they, they propose these random choices and then I have to choose and explain my answer. And I remember being on a car ride with my daughter and she was just peppering me with would you rather questions and then she wanted me to ask her. And I thought this, this is where we start. We start slow, we start small and in every single lesson, a teacher can ask themselves, what is a would you rather choice that I can integrate into this learning experience to give students a degree of agency. And it could be something as simple as, would you rather work on your own or read on your own or work with a partner, read with a partner? Would you like to make connections between the big ideas in this chapter or in this article, in a concept map being very visual or in a paragraph where you've written to make the connections? Do you wanna annotate or do sketch notes? Do you wanna record a video explaining your ideas or write it down? These simple choices, one, they help students who quite frankly may have gone through most of their their school career without making hardly any decisions. It gets them a little more comfortable making decisions because the decisions aren't super complex, but it also gives the teacher this opportunity to start thinking about what are different ways this could be done that would be meaningful? And how can I position the learner to make a choice that's going to feel like, that's the choice that's going to work best for them, how they engage with information, how they process information, how they transfer. Um, That's where I'd love to see teachers start. And I think if we built in one meaningful, would you rather choice in every single lesson for a month, you would see a difference in the way your students are leaning in to the kinds of learning activities we're asking them to do in a classroom.
2: Dr. Tucker, you mentioned scaffolding in your Mm -hmm. first response. And I feel like what you just talked about really kind of teased that apart and talked about how, you know, how you can scaffold that that evolution of becoming a blended learning class mm-hmm. um, by giving those small pieces. And I think it gives teachers, you know, a vision of, of kind of how to get into this. So I really appreciate it. Appreciate that kind of leveling of that or the the scaffolding you're providing for us and understanding what this might look like.
1: Yeah. And and even to build on that, because you're you're I love the you're teasing out this idea of teaching students how to be these kind of more active agents in a blended learning environment. And I think one of the things that gets skipped and maybe this is like a great time of year before the beginning of the year or like before a second semester to have this conversation is we also have to acknowledge that if we're partnering with learners and we're going to be embracing these models where quite frankly, students have much more control, more agency. Then we also need to make sure we've had conversations about what do we as a class community agree to do in this blended learning environment? Like what is gonna keep this space feeling positive and safe and respectful and productive? And what are things we want to avoid because it might jeopardize jeopardize that feeling of safety in this space and actually co-create those expectations together and then have conversations like, okay, missteps happen. What's going to be the sequence of consequences for missteps in this classroom? Let's also work together to create a really clear path of consequences so that when a misstep happens, it isn't the teacher coming up with some arbitrary consequence. It's like, there's no shaming. There's no anger. It's just like, well, this happened. We agree that wasn't going to happen. And here's the first consequence, you know, and I think sometimes we miss those steps. And, and I think even positioning learners once a week, once every other week or twice a month to craft an email, write a letter, you know, record an audio file, share a Google document with parents with like an update Here's where I'm succeeding. Here's where I'm struggling. This is what's worked really well for me. Like here, mom and dad, here, guardian, grandparent, whoever's at home, this is how I'm doing in this class. I'm starting to own this conversation about my progress and about my work in a way that, again, requires that active agency in a classroom. So I think even those fundamental steps of like, how do we set the stage for success in a blended learning environment, that's something that has to happen, but I think often kind of just gets overlooked. That totally makes sense. And
2: it's so interesting to me in teaching my own classes, you know, that I take on that role of teacher, right? Whether I'm trying mm. to be collaborative with my students or, you know, whatever that community looks like, I still see myself as teacher. But when I teach pre-service teachers, I, I shift my, my role to be kind of that like mentor or, you know, I want them to see behind the curtain because mm-hmm. they're trying to learn how to be that teacher. Right. And mm-hmm. I mean, really, as you're talking, that's what was coming to mind is letting everyone behind the curtain. Right. So as you're <laughs> engaging in, you know, in your class and you're, you're going through these new ways of constructing learning in your classroom and and everyone's taking on different roles and everyone's maybe a little uncomfortable at times or whatever, but to have that, those conversations to be able to say, Hey, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what it yes. is, you know, and just to be able to kind of deconstruct our process, right. With our learners. I think that that, that has so much power. I, I see that power with pre-service teachers And it's kind of, you gave me that kind of aha. I'm like, well, why aren't I doing that with my doctoral students or my other classes? Or, you know, or why didn't I ever think of that when I taught high school? Because I was, uh, you know, just total different dynamic. And so, you know, most of our listeners are in that K-12 space. And Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you're really just presenting some ideas that are giving us
1: a glimpse of what that change of mindset really looks like. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you say the why... I start everything I do from that place. Like and and I think it's so easy especially as a K12 teacher. We know why we're doing things. We know what the standards and skills we're targeting, but we don't always make that clear for students. They don't understand the value and the purpose. So, if I'm going to use a new instructional model like a flip classroom, a playlist, station rotation, like I need to be really clear about why. What is the value proposition in this new approach to doing something this way? And then I agree, the more we can like lift the veil. And, and so at the end of a lesson, the end of a learning experience, giving kids a form, a Google form, or a, you know, a paper, and asking them for feedback. What went well for you? What did you struggle with? Was any part of this unclear? If you could recommend something to improve this if we're going to do it next time, please give that to me like i'd love to hear it and so as a as a professor now and back when i was teaching high school i as a professor i end every single class with a feedback form as a high school teacher i i ended every grading period with a feedback form because i wanted to learn from my students. They're the customers in education. And we so rarely ask them, how is this working for you? What do you like? What do you not like? What suggestions do you have? And sometimes the feedback from my high school students, that was my best learning where I was like, oh, okay, I got to change that. Or I need to rethink that. I need to reimagine it because this is clearly not working. Yeah. The more feedback you ask for, the more they'll give you, right?
2: So it's, it's, Magical, right, to get that feedback. Mm-hmm. James, I think you have a question.
0: I'm, I'm doing everything I can do to hold on to the horse because I, one of the things that, as, as, as Dr. Tucker talked through, I think teachers on the other side of this face is a lot of things are done top down and you have to wait for them to happen and this and that. But when a teacher takes that initiative and does something really, you know, kind of changing the landscape of education, they're faced to deal with parents. Starting there with, well, my kids aren't getting homework. My kids aren't doing this. My kids aren't doing that. And then those parents are articulating to our administrators and administrators are saying, well, you can't grade that way. Or you, what are you doing? So, you know, one of those pieces, and I hope our, our listeners really caught on to that, to change that conversation, when you start talking about kids sharing uh, an email, a letter of that Google Doc, maybe that recording. I mean, they are the TikTok generation, all of these mm-hmm. kind of things and sharing those with parents and or administrators, that helps build that buy-in of parents like, yes, this is not the way we did education, mm-hmm. but wow, my kids are learning. What, what, what other pieces can you add to that, Dr. Tucker?
1: Oh man, yes, <laughs> parents uh, love them. But they can be rough. (laughs) I read a really fascinating interview with Peter Senge about education and like why is innovation so hard to sustain in education. And he said that one of the biggest kind of uh, enforcers of the status quo is parents, right? And it's really their mindset. They remember what it was like to be in school, school looked a certain way. And they expect that experience for their children. And we also, unfortunately, live in this moment where the pressure to perform academically in order to get into a college is pressure parents feel. It's pressure they put on their kids, the kids feel it, like there's so much anxiety with young people because of it. And so yes, it feels very much like we're swimming upstream sometimes when we try to do things that are outside the box or feel very unfamiliar for families who see education as functioning in a very particular way. And so just in the same way we as educators need to be crystal clear about the why with our students, we have to be crystal clear with the why with our families. So I always started the school year with a flipped back to school night video. And so in that video, I would introduce myself, I would talk about my teaching philosophy, I would give kind of a screencast tour of the online places we were gonna be living and and kind of engaging in in that year. Um, And I talked about why I was approaching teaching in the ways that I was. Why did my homework policy and late work policy and grading policy look the way it looked? And so parents could, self paced through that flip video, get a little sneak peek into the videos I was going to be using with their kids and the value. And I had so many parents write me emails, they're like, I'm coming to back to school night, but thank you for that video. I can watch it, I've already watched it twice, and I often like forget everything that I hear at back to school night because it's just this blur. So I would start with a clear flipped back to school night in addition to my live session, um, explaining my why and helping parents to understand what was gonna be different in this class and why it was valuable. And then also those weekly updates to parents about progress those are huge because parents so rarely get a window into what their kids are doing and so i had kids building digital portfolios their parents could see anytime i had them communicating once a week their progress and then also twice a year i had student facilitated parent conferences where students would pull their work They would do this pre kind of assignment where they had pieces that were challenging, pieces that they felt were really strong representations of their progress. And parents would come in during my actual class time, sit in the corner of the room with their kid. The kid would pull up the digital portfolio and walk their parent or guardian through what they'd been working on. And I think all of those pieces together helped parents to appreciate what we were doing and why we were doing it the way we were doing it so it's not an easy it's not an easy answer it's a puzzle for sure pulling pieces together to help parents really understand the the ways in which the you know these different models and approaches were going to benefit their kids
0: well thank you dr tucker there's uh, so much to digest in in this ride for sure and and it reminds me of the idea you know don't don't walk with the walkers, run with the runners and, and surround yourself with people that will push you, that will help you, that will not just let you stay stagnant. And I can't thank you enough for joining us for the last couple episodes to help us build that network. And knowing you have amazing resources for teachers uh to, to know that they're not at it alone. And and I'll let you throw some uh acknowledgement on those resources for our listeners again.
1: Absolutely. So probably the best place to go right off the bat is katlintucker.com. That is my website where I blog. I have links to my online self-paced courses for anybody who wants to really get started in this work, but that might not have a lot of support on their physical campus. I have a bunch of different books, depending on your role in education, um, on blended learning. So you can kind of check those out. And then, of course, I'm super active on Twitter. So anybody who's on Twitter, even if you're not super active, you can always, you know, shoot me a question or ask for a resource I'm also on instagram other places where you might live socially online as well so um, if you're looking to connect don't hesitate to reach out
2: well
0: thank you and that brings up the point you're you didn't mention network tv in there so all those resources are all the places our kids and and we should be moving so this ride is came to an end and whew, I, th- I think the horses are tired so it's time to head them up move them on move them on Add them up. Add them up. Move them on. Cowboy yeah. on the run.